Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. So in this week's episode, we discuss... Justin Trudeau making it rain. Back to school. How scared are you? Really? Canada's federal debt. The need for Black investments and investors. Lower interest rates. Women disproportionately feeling the economic effects of COVID-19. And much more. Yo, Curtis, did you watch the Brandy Monica versus? Nah, but I did see how um, that one hating ass girl Monica was hating on Brandy hard. Oh, it's the same person we're talking about. Oh, you mean Gunica? You mean Gunica? <laughs> the goon, fam. She's a goon. She's a real life goon for real, for real. Wow. But what about that game from last week, though? That point five second shot that oh OG put. Oh my gosh. Okay. Do I have to say anything else? So Justin Trudeau is hinting that he's about to let it rain when the House resumes on September 23rd. All last week, JT was sitting down with different media stations across the country defending his decision to parole Parliament and use a throne speech to change course in response to COVID-19. And it sounds like that change of course will be monumental. There are different liberal sources playing up the significance saying things like the blueprint will fundamentally remake Canada and that it will be on par with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms or the creation of Medicare. Sounds like big things are gone. Big things are gone, the blood clot. So we're talking about concrete anti-racism policies and significant new spending on childcare, health services, and creating a greener economy, essentially closing the gaps that COVID laid bare. Well, this is a minority government, so what did the NDP and the Conservatives have to say about this? Oh, well, you know, they love it. They are just planning to support the Liberals 100%. Nah, that's... I mean, well, to be honest, you could kind of say that for the NDP, but for the Conservatives, Aaron O'Toole and the Blue Team are saying they don't want an election, but, and I quote, if they want to rattle sabers, and that's they being the Liberals, they will find that our saber is sharp. But I'm not here for an election. I'm here for the relaunch of our economy post-COVID. Yo, I'm telling you, patients, honestly, like, O'Toole is leaps and bounds better than Andrew Scheer just right out the door in terms of communication. This guy has some one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, seriously, I'm reading some of the stuff he's saying, I'm like, honestly, if I wasn't like, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd be no, like, don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. Too far. Too far. What? For the, NDP. <laughs> For the NDP's part, according to National Director Anne McGrath, they're willing to be a partner to, and I quote, extract as much as possible in terms of getting help for Canadians, end quote. 
By the way, everyone, we're leaving the Greens out of this equation because they don't have enough seats to make a difference. And we're also omitting the Bloc because, well, they only care about Quebec. Here's the thing. Right now, polls like a recent one from the Angus Reid Institute showed what Canadians care most about in these times. In order of importance, most Canadians care about COVID, then healthcare, then climate change, then the economy. We also know even to this day that about 73% of all Canadians approve of Justin Trudeau's handling of the pandemic, and many appreciate that he was willing to invest in people rather than solely give money to the rich like Conservatives would. There's also the fact that the Liberal Party continues to be stronger than the Conservatives in Ontario and stronger by far than the Conservatives in Quebec and Atlantic Canada, all regions any party needs to win. Funny enough, most observers believe that if there's going to be an election, it'll be because Trudeau wants it, not because opposition parties vote his government down later this month. I still don't want an election. We are probably going to be entering wave two of COVID-19. So I, I really still do not want an election. Yeah, I'm still with you. I don't see a need. So there's been a lot of anxiety from parents worried about their children's education in the age of COVID, right? Will schools be safe if they send their kids? Or if they choose not to send their kids, will their children's education suffer? Or at least I thought there was anxiety. Now look, I ain't got no kids. I ain't planning on having no kids anytime soon. So my views are less relevant in this perspective. But it turns out that overwhelmingly, parents in Ontario are saying they'll be sending their kids back to school. For real? Yeah, fam. So the TDSB, Canada's largest school board, says families who have responded to a survey indicate that 70% of elementary students and 78% of high school students will be physically present in class. I guess that's why Doug Ford's poll numbers are so high. Right? I mean, dude is second most popular in the country, just riding on the coattails of the federal liberals. But honestly, if we can talk a little bit more about that, Curtis, what do you... I've been reading a lot of the World Economic Forum and their approach to, you know, back to school internationally. And Canada isn't really the most progressive when it comes to uh, rules in the school. So... Let me give you an example. In elementary schools, um, meaning kids who are kind of younger than 10, their masks are optional. Mm -hmm. Strongly encouraged, but optional. And we all know, uh, or maybe we don't all know, that when you send an eight-year-old to school and there's pink eye in the school, pink eye comes home. Really? Because I I honestly thought that if I sent my kid to school that I don't have... um, and there was a pink eye outbreak, the kid would be totally safe. Right, just immediately. Yeah, perfect. Everything would be perfect. That, that, that's, it's really interesting because, you know, Ontario, no offense. No, not, no, offense. Ontario has not <laughs> done a really good job of outlining uh, for the, the school boards what needs to be done. And still 78% of high school and 70% of elementary school parents are, are willing to kind of just close their eyes and go forward. That That's fascinating to me. It, it really is. I genuinely wonder if it's like, is it because they feel defeated and they have no choice really? Yeah. Or is there, like, I really am interested to know. Yeah. We should probably look into this further for next week. Yeah. Now, moving on to the economy, let's take a snapshot or let's take a look 
at where we are financially as a country. Some might be happy with what you're about to hear. Some might be downright concerned. Emergency federal spending had already increased the projected size of this year's federal deficit to $343.2 billion back in July. Major new spending announcements since then, including $37 billion in new income support measures announced last month, suggest the deficit is likely approaching $400 billion. This year's deficit is expected to push the federal debt beyond the $1 trillion threshold, up from $685 billion heading into the pandemic. That, that must worry you, right, Curtis? Nope. Well, not really. Here's the thing. Conservatives have been sounding alarm bells around the world about public spending for decades. And yet, large deficits run up by countries the world over, including the U.S., haven't triggered higher interest rates yet. So long as our economy keeps growing, which is heavily driven by immigration, and so long as we choose to invest in high-growth industries to boost our economic output, seriously, I think we'll be just fine. The problem arises when we have no room for growth, but we do. I've been hearing a lot of people talk about how liberal federal governments put us into debt and conservatives take us out of debt. What do you, how do you feel about that? That's, that's actually bullshit. It's complete and utter bullshit. There's, um, do I even have this article still? There's an article that I actually used to keep around on me. <laughs> like in your back pocket? Just so fling out? Yeah. So it was a bookmark in my browser. So like, yeah, it followed me on my phone and shit. And it painted the picture quite clearly that conservatives are the ones that put us into deficit more than liberals because they tend to spend more money than they take in because all they want to do is cut. They don't like they don't like public services, right? Yeah. So in our black, blackity, black news this week, I I don't think I'm telling the listeners anything they don't already know, but venture capital, and that is early investments in a company of between 1 million to 30 million in return for shares, is how most new startups get out of the blocks. And as a result of kind of this, this racial revolution that we're in, I'm sure everybody remembers when we had blackout Tuesdays where folks would only spend on black businesses that has kind of slowed down, if not stopped. But we really got to start raising awareness of, you know, keeping the the black dollar or, or reinvesting the black dollar in black investors and in black companies. 81% of venture capital funds specializing in making these types of investments, meaning investing in ideas in small businesses and startups lack a black partner I just want to say that again, 81%, 81% of venture capital funds, so funds that give money to small businesses, do not even have a black person as a partner. Which means most of them are just not considering black people. So 75% of fundraising rounds go to all white founding teams. Look at how the data just makes everything clear. It's crystal, crystal clear. And this is according to Marlon Nichols, who's a founding managing partner at California's Mac Venture Capital. And and Marlon Nichols asserts that ethnically diverse 
founding teams deliver investors better returns on average 3.3 times their invested capital compared with two times for all white founders. So what's the problem? What's the problem? If more ethnically diverse teams will give you a, a higher return on your investment, what is the problem? I think maybe that's a question for the audience this week, Curtis. Maybe it is. It'd be good to hear what people think. So Black Lives Matter in Toronto, in Ontario, but the the struggle continues. A black man was beaten and stabbed by a group of five in Brandon, Manitoba this past week. Apparently, a group of people yelled racial slurs at a man before he was stabbed multiple times in a skate park on Thursday in what, funny enough, a police officer said was an absolutely reprehensible assault. The irony. The absolute irony. Two women, two women now face several charges, including public enticement of hatred. The first time that charge has been laid in Brandon, Manitoba, according to police. The victim, Taylor, a formal mixed martial artist, is a father of four. He was at the skate park with his six-year-old son when the attack occurred. His mother, Beverly Buckner, uh, hasn't spoken to her son, but she's been kind of kept up to date on his status and knows that he's recovering. Buckner has lived in Brandon, Manitoba for 17 years and said she has not experienced overt racism directed towards her. She never expected to hear that anyone from the southwestern Manitoba city would be charged with public enticement of hatred. My question for you, Curtis, is do you think that these, I don't want to say random, but these recent attacks are in any way tied to the Black Lives Matter protests or to the increased visibility of white supremacy across the country or across the the continent, I guess? That's a really good question. I wouldn't be surprised if there was an uptick because of the Black Lives Matter protests, but there have been increases in white supremacist activity going back to at least 2015, if not prior to that. And it's been continuously increasing, um, particularly there have been increasing attacks toward, um, I think the three biggest in Canada are, ironically enough, uh, Jewish and then Muslim and then Black people, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting. So unfortunately, I think it's going to increase until we can get this anger, this white anger under control. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jacob Blake speaks out for the first time since he was shot 
seven times in his back. Uh, I first, before I get into this week's story, I, wa- I want to issue a correction for the record. Last week, I said that the Jacob Blake incident happened in Kenosha, Colorado, but it was actually in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Sorry about that, folks. So this week, the officers that were involved in the Jacob Blake shooting uh, were placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of an investigation by the Wisconsin Department of Justice. Similarly to what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, where uh, the Korchinski Paquette case was being investigated by the SIU. This seems to be a similar thing where the county police department is being investigated by the state department of justice. Of course, I don't have to tell you if they've been put on administrative leave, that means that none of them have been charged. And I don't think anyone is necessarily surprised at that, but you know, there is footage and it's it's just something that we're going to have to keep the pulse on. In a related issue, I came across an article this week around cruel and unusual punishment by police officers. And and the specific tool that they were investigating or talking about was the use of spit hoods. So uh, a young man, Daniel Prude, was killed by police officers. He he was suffocated to death while in custody uh, in Rochester, New York, in March, at the beginning of COVID. And th- this this investigation into how he suffocated to death has really drawn new attention to the hoods. These mesh bags have been linked to other deaths and the frequent reliance on police to respond to mental health emergencies. So typically what happens is that the police are called to a mental health emergency and I guess in an, in an attempt to subdue the person who they are supposed to be helping, they put a spit hood on their head so they can't see anything around them. And maybe they question them, maybe they arrest them, or but, but that is a tool that is used to subdue. While many law enforcement defend the hoods as vital to prevent officers from being spit on or even bitten, a concern that has really taken on new importance during the coronavirus pandemic uh, has been that they are dangerous and inhumane. I personally have seen some police officers use the spit hoods and I don't really get it. And if people are suffocating to death, then maybe there's something that we should take a look at there. COVID cases soar in Brampton. A couple of weeks ago, Curtis did a deep dive into how COVID is still thriving in black and brown communities in the greater Toronto area amidst the reopening. And I just wanted to give you another update. You know, Ontario has hit another recent high in COVID-19 cases with 148 cases, including a whopping 72, so about half of that in Peel. And that has prompted Premier Doug Ford to issue a stern Labor Day warning to the region, particularly Brampton, where many infections are concentrated. Again, Brampton is a place everybody knows is probably close to 80% black and brown people. And these people are disproportionately feeling the effects of this disease. Peel now has more active cases than the city of Toronto. And and the city of Toronto has a significantly larger population. Peel has 374 cases. Toronto has 353 cases. And Ottawa has 184. So if we're looking at Ontario, we can see that the, the cases really are concentrated in Peel. I think that says a lot about how we're handling this move into reopening our province. And, you know, if we're really paying a lot of attention to the diversity of uh, lived experiences and lifestyles that people have and how they're adjusting as we uh, continue to reopen the province.
Any thoughts, Curtis? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here wondering what poverty is like in Peel, because I, to, to be frank, I, I just don't think this is probably going to be a really ignorant comment, but I, I just don't think of poverty in Peel. I think of Brampton and Mississauga as places where people move to because it's better, but maybe that's because I'm an Eastern kid from Scarborough. I don't know. It's a great point. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering where these, like, is this because of poverty as is the case in Toronto or is this just people being negligent and ignorant? It's a good point. I do think that it's a combination of a number of things. I think poverty is involved. I think negligence is involved. But I also think Peel, Brampton in particular, is known for having larger size households, right? So you'll have multi-generational homes where, you know, there'll maybe be 12 people living in a single family home. That, when we're talking about a disease that is about physical transmission, um, you know, you have maybe a child in the house or a young person in the house who goes out and is negligent and then comes home to what is intended to be a single family home for five or six people, but there's 12 people in the home uh, and how quickly that kind of spreads to parents, grandparents, and then spreads even further when people are going to grocery stores and people are, you know, kind of going about their, their lives. So I, I do think that that is really key. And I think tied to the whole, not always, but tied to the whole, multi-generational home situation is is a, a little bit of poverty mm-hmm. well look these numbers are shooting back up we are effectively looking at the beginning of the second wave personally i've refrained from certain outings i'm going to continue to do that there's probably been a little lull for many people in terms of the fear of covid all i'm going to say guys is listen to what patients just said the numbers are shooting back up Time to take it seriously again. For our world segment, what is happening in the globe, Patience? Well, again, this is going to be a COVID-related story because women are continuing to slide further into poverty since COVID-19. According to the UN's International Labor Organization, about 70% of domestic workers globally had lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19 by June this year. No good. During the pandemic, women have lost their jobs at a faster rate than men have and are more likely to be employed in the sector's hardest hit by long lockdowns, such as retail, restaurants, and hotels. I think we can even see this in the greater Toronto area, you know, who works at the mall, if, you, if you've been to the mall in the last little while, you'll notice that they don't have nearly as many staff. Um, what is mall? I don't even know what malls are anymore. Hilarious. But funny enough, though, so while while retail is, is, is down and there are less maybe sales associates and cashiers and stuff, they, they have an increase in security and security tends to be a more male-dominated role. That's a really good kind of example of how Women have lost their jobs at a faster rate and are likely going to be replaced by, by, by men or by robots. A lot of people are probably ordering their stuff on Amazon or online. And a majority of delivery people, whether it's UPS or FedEx or DHL, uh, also tends to be male dominated. So just things to, to kind of think about. Women are also more likely to work in the informal economy, typically in jobs 
as cleaners that come with little to no health care, unemployment benefits, or other protections. I, I keep thinking, Curtis, about what's going to happen when CERB ends. CERB, CERB was, was really a flexible model, right? That, you know, was kind of like, apply now, we'll ask questions later. But as we move into a new model, questions will be asked up front. And I wonder how many people will be ineligible for some of the, the benefits that wouldn't necessarily always be available to folks who work in the informal economy. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and the first thing that we have to keep in mind is that the new safety net, that we, that's what we should call it, the new social safety net that Justin Trudeau is planning to put in place. It's, it's still a plan because it has to be ratified by parliament, which is at this point not guaranteed. But if it is, there is a program that will support many Canadians. It'll only be for six months, but it will support them just the way CERB did for six months. Yeah, the the Canada Recovery Benefit, that would actually help a lot of people in the gig economy. We know that there's a lot of women in the gig economy. It'll provide 400 bucks a month for up to 26 weeks or roughly six months, like I said before. And recipients will have an obligation to be available for work. But here's the great thing. It will allow people who get this benefit to earn as much as $38,000 in annual net income before they start to claw back 50 cents per dollar. So it'll be really good, but it's it's not guaranteed, right? So we'll see how uh, things go by the end of the month. In news from south of the border, folks are saying that we can look forward to lower interest rates as our economy recovers. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said, and I quote, we think that the economy is going to need low interest rates, which support economic activity for an extended period of time. I think that this makes a lot of sense. If you want people to spend money, what do you do? You make it easier for them to spend money. So you take the interest rates from, you know, 19.99 or 22.99, and you drop those bad boys down to 11, 7, 5%. And I think that that will really, really help a, a whole bunch of people. And I think that that's, that makes the future a little bit less scary when you think about the amount of money that many of us spend on interest alone, uh, looking forward to lower interest rates for people who are renewing their mortgages or people who are going to get new credit cards. I think that that's something to look forward to. And, uh, and I'm excited uh, that some of our economists are thinking in this way. Any thoughts, Curtis? Yeah, I agree 100%. And this is exactly why Justin Trudeau is making the move that he's making, right? Saying that now is the time to make investments on a massive scale that we haven't seen since maybe the Reconstruction era. It's because we have the capacity to do so because of low interest rates. And with Jerome Powell saying that they're probably going to be low for some time, we need to take advantage of that. So this is very good news. This week, we saw Jamaica's Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, get elected, or re-elected, I should say, handily, with a landslide majority victory. The catch? Only 37% of Jamaicans voted. That's even less than the last election, which happened in 2016, which I believe 47% of Jamaicans voted. I'll be honest, I look at what is happening in Jamaica from afar, from on my little perch here in Toronto. And I generally like what I see. I also know that there have been some scandals, which, by the way, kind of puts into perspective that scandals happen everywhere all the time. So again, it's good to keep them in perspective. That's a really low voter turnout, though. I, I'm, I'm surprised. That's really the story. 
they're saying, well, it probably has something to do with COVID, but I mean, turnout was already low to begin with. So the legitimacy of this government, it's just not there. Exactly. Yeah, it will constantly be in question. So this week for questions for the audience, what do you think about our debt and our deficit, especially in this time of COVID? We talked a little bit earlier about how high the debt that Canada has is piling on. And we want to know, I mean, are you bothered by that? If so, why? And if not, why not? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip To You. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.